All right, we are wrapping up a series of uh, training with the 12. Toby will finish it up most of the rest of the Sunday nights, uh, bringing a series about the upper room, what all went on there. Uh, and I'm finishing up a series here on Jesus and how he dealt with people. So we've been studying the life of Jesus, how he dealt with all kinds of situations and uh, different groups and uh, this last series particularly about how he dealt with different kinds of people. And we're up to the end here, the persecutors. We kind of worked our way up from the multitudes to the crowds to the uh, ones that were possible followers, onto his followers, onto his oppressors, and now his persecutors tonight on the second page of your handout. And we started it a little bit last week, but we'll go over some of that to help us remember where we are. Uh, this section of his persecutors, of course, is all about that last few hours uh, after his arrest and before his crucifixion. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand some of the personalities involved, the people and who they were and what they represented to understand his responses. And I talked about that just a little bit last week, but let's do a, a little review. Uh, the first few people on the list, they're Annas and then Caiaphas, were both high priests. Now, there was only one high priest at a time, so they weren't technically serving at the same time. Annas was the old high priest, and he served for quite a long time according to the historians, from about A.D. 6 to about A.D. 15, which was quite a long time to stay in that position because the Jews fought with each other so much, I guess. They got deposed. Uh, but he was pretty tight with Rome. Uh, Rome kept him in uh, position there. And even after he fell uh, from the position of high priest, he fell out of favor a little bit with Rome, uh, he still controlled it. He still had enough political connections and connections among the Jews that he was still very powerful. Uh, in fact, following him in the office of high priest were his five sons, <laughs> one at a time, and then his son-in-law. So he kept it in the family and kind of ran it from behind the curtains. Uh, but he was still called the high priest. I think Luke calls him that in a few other places. Uh, so he's one fellow we're dealing with, and he was very, very political with Rome. And then Caiaphas was his son-in-law, who got the job because of relative ability, uh, and he was also very tight with Rome. He worked with uh, Rome pretty well and tried to do what they wanted to do and keep them happy. Uh, the high priest controlled the temple was one of his main things. He, he decided what went on there and what didn't. And I know I keep referring to the uh, TV series A.D., but it was so much about this kind of history that I keep thinking of it. And uh, that was one, one of the big battles after Jesus' ascension was the apostles wanted to keep going to the temple grounds to worship. And Caiaphas was the one that decided whether they could or not. So they tried to deal with him and keep him kind of happy, although he obviously was not a fan of Jesus. 
so all that political stuff was going on there. So that's what who Caiaphas was. And then the two, well, the other two that Jesus meets here in just a little while, Pilate was strictly Roman. He was the uh, one that had the whole area and controlled it for Rome. He was headquartered out of Rome. He was a Roman, had no uh, connection or uh, history or relation or love for Judaism at all. This was just his place to control, and he had to keep peace. That was his main job, was to keep things peaceful and not let it riot. Herod was kind of in between. Herod was mostly a Jew. Uh, His daddy had been Herod the Great, uh, who they called the King of the Jews. Uh, In fact, Julius Caesar was the one that named him that, appointed him that. So he went back a long ways. When Rome took over, uh, Herod the Great got in real tight with the Romans and got appointed to be over the Jews. His job was also to kind of keep things calmed down and keep it peaceful there. So you can see with those four people, the old high priest, the new high priest that controlled the Jewish end of things, Pilate from Rome who was just wanted no riots or problems, and Herod, who had to keep friendship with Rome and peace in the land too, a rebel <laughs> teacher like Jesus that stirred things up and caused Jerusalem to go crazy on Palm Sunday and, and all that kind of thing, these guys were interested. Okay? Uh, they were involved in a lot more than just just this night, but... Uh, Knowing what they're after and why Jesus goes to them may help us understand some of Jesus' responses. So last week we talked about Annas and Caiaphas, I believe, and I think we maybe did the council. So let's start with Pilate tonight in Luke 23. And if you were here last week, you know we're reading a lot of Scripture. Instead of summarizing it or putting it on the big screen or whatever, we're actually looking at it and seeing how Jesus responded to his persecutors. All right, Luke 23, first six verses. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. Now he's already talked to the two high priests, talked to Annas, talked to Caiaphas. Remember he answered their questions, told them quite clearly, yes, I am the Son of God. I was very clear about the truth with them. Uh, the reason they sent him off to Pilate, you remember the, the last session, uh, Caiaphas tore his clothes and said, that's all I need to hear. Well, you know, we got to kill this guy. He's guilty of blasphemy. Okay. So you'd think the trial was settled, and it was for the Jews, but the Jews didn't have any power to execute anybody. So they couldn't carry that out. So they had to go to the Romans to get him convicted of something that the Romans would think was worth the death penalty. So off they sent him to Pilate, verse 1. They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, Uh, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, 
He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's, Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Okay, so this shows us who Pilate was. He was strictly interested in Roman things, and he probably didn't know much about Jesus. He had probably heard some about him, heard some reports of insurrection and a false teacher that the Jews were upset about. But if the Jews were upset about it, that didn't bother him much. And so that was the first thing he asked him. You king of the Jews? You're not claiming to be king of everything, are you? You're not messing with Caesar. Are you the king of the Jews? He said, yeah, I'm king of the Jews. And so as far as Herod was, I mean, Pilate was concerned, okay, he's, he's no threat to Rome. This is a Jewish mess, and let them figure it out. And so he knew Herod was in town. He said, there's the way out. I don't have to mess with this. I can send him to Herod. I'll be done with him. Well, off he goes to Herod. Uh, same passage starting in verse 7. Okay, when Herod saw Jesus, verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. Um, they sent him back to Pilate. Now that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they'd been enemies. Okay, So he goes to Herod, and what's Herod want? Now, Herod's the one that put John the Baptist to death. This is Herod Antipas, uh, Herod the Great's son. He'd killed John the Baptist already. Uh, so he obviously wasn't too interested in the gospel uh, or anything about the kingdom. He just wanted to see a miracle. He had heard Jesus could do miracles. So he wanted a show. I mean, you're the best magician in the country. I want to see your tricks. And look at Jesus' response to him. Nothing. Nothing. Didn't say a word. We'll try to calculate that when we get down to the end here of all these persecutors. But uh, some of them, he's admitting who he is. He's telling them the truth. He's talking a little bit. Herod, he doesn't open his mouth. Okay. So Herod couldn't get a trick out of him. So he says, all right, back to Pilate. So we got to go back to Pilate again and start finish the trial that Pilate didn't want to get started in the first place. Uh, so we go to verse 13, and Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, All right, you, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. So that was Pilate's first try. He didn't think this was worthy of a Roman execution. And bear in mind, it's all political. He knew Jesus had a lot of followers, I'm sure, and taking him out and crucifying just liable to cause more mess. 
So he didn't want to do that. Didn't care what the Jewish leaders said. He didn't see any reason for Rome to get involved in this up to the level of a crucifixion. Uh, so he said, I'll punish him and release him, which means he'll have him flogged or beaten or something, and then he'll release him. With one voice, they cried out, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. And Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no ground for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they had asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Okay, now there's no response from Jesus in there, but um, we needed to see that to see how all of this flowed. And Pilate finally gave in to the political pressure. He decided, all right, they're going to cause more trouble than if he gets crucified. He's just a, just a Jew. He, you know, Yeah, it'll cause a mess for a little while, but these folks aren't giving up. They're, they're radical. Uh, so I give in. I'll crucify him. Uh, of course, other Gospels tell us more about him washing his hands and all that of the whole mess. All right, now let's find out some soldiers in here. Let's go back to Matthew's, get the best description of them. Matthew 27. We saw a little bit of the soldier stuff there in Luke, but Matthew tells us a little more detailed story. Matthew 27, starting at verse... No, nope, got to get to chapter 27. Starting in verse 26. There we go. Um... Picking up where we left off, then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers about him. Excuse me. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Persecution, uh, response from Jesus. Nothing that we know of, not a word. Keep going, start to go jump down to verse 39, and we get out to where the crowd is uh, at the crucifixion. Verse 39, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? (laughs) Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, uh, well, that's the crowd. We'll go on to the religious leaders next two verses. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So that finishes up all three of them there. The crowd, the religious leaders, and the thieves beside all of them on him. All of them mocking and uh, challenging him to come down if he was really who he said he was. And on that, the response? Nothing. Nothing. Just endured it. Just endured it. Of course, we'll find out a little more later in those last three passages, but let's stop here for a minute. Uh, All through this trial, all through these phony trials and Jewish trials and Roman trials and uh, abuse by the soldiers and abuse by the crowd and all that, what's Jesus' response? How's, How's he handle this? Some of them, he, he just sent them clear off the ceiling when he, he just told them the truth. He said, yeah, I'm, like you said, I'm the son of God. Yeah, I'm the king of the Jews. And, of course, that just did them in, especially Caiaphas and the other solid Jews that hated him and persecuted him. And part of the time... He didn't say anything. He didn't answer a bit. And going back to what we've learned before about how Jesus dealt with people, potential followers and everything else, it's like he evaluated, you know, where is this person and what's this person need to hear? The only one of the officials that he didn't talk to was Herod. Who was Herod? The guy that already killed John the Baptist. Do you think he was a truth seeker? (laughs) He wasn't too interested in anything about the truth. He just wanted to see a show if Jesus would do one for him. And he was going to condemn him anyway because he already killed his buddy John. Uh, And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew he could talk for an hour and it wasn't going to bother Herod. So he didn't say anything. Ignored him, basically. The other officials, he responded to. He told them something. The Pilate, he told a little more to because Pilate didn't know anything about him. Uh, the, the soldiers and the crowd, they didn't know what they were doing. In fact, Jesus says that later. They, just the sport in Jerusalem. So he didn't respond at all. Now, um, I was wondering here if we could apply any of this. Most of the rest of this series, I think we can apply it to the people we deal with. Uh, we don't have many persecutors. You know, we might have some oppressors or somebody that picks on us a little bit, but uh, we're not to the point yet where we got many persecutors. We're still pretty free to say and do what we want to do. Someday, I don't know uh, whether it will happen in my lifetime or not, but... Uh, probably not since I'm going so quick. <laughs> I'm just going over Jordan. But uh, <laughs> some of you young ones, you, you'll probably be around to the day when we get some persecution as Christians. Well, how are you going to respond to them? Well, here's a pretty good model of 
if there's some chance to teach them or answer a direct question or something like that, fine. If they're not interested, if they're just going to persecute you anyway, uh, no matter what you say, then just be quiet and take it, is what Jesus did. Uh, and the more I thought about that, we, we don't really have persecutors yet. We've got people that are kind of mean to us sometimes, or at least we do on Know Your Bible, uh, where we answer questions and teach the truth. Uh, we get some interesting responses, and... Since I just got this week, this this week, it stuck in my head. Uh, I'll confess this is kind of an embarrassing comparison to talk about a a mean letter <laughs> in the same night that I'm talking about Jesus' crucifixion. I mean, we're not we're not in the ballpark there. We're not even on the continent. But it's the thing that was on my desk and made me think of how do I respond to persecutors. Uh, so let me tell you just these two that came this week, and it happened the uh, uh, last week, I think it was, we answered a question about homosexuality. That always brings a few people out of the, the woodwork, and we get some comments. Uh, but up in, uh, let's say it's Sioux Falls, up in Sioux Falls, their report about their calls and stuff, uh, Jim wrote and said, uh, one woman called in to say that the show needs to be taken off the air. Uh, the show should no longer be aired because she doesn't want her child to be exposed to the kind of ideas expressed on the show. And he said, I asked her what particular was said that bothered her, and she stated that they said homosexuality is wrong. So we ought to be taken off the air. Uh, another one that came in email to hear, uh, his statement was, I'm totally gay and proud of it. Does that mean you believe I'm an atheist and will be going to hell? I believe in God. Yeah. Two responses on the same subject. How do I respond to them? Well, not exactly because I'm following Jesus' pattern, but because I think it's the, the right thing to do. The lady that wants us off the air, I'm not going to respond. I don't think she's interested in much discussion. <laughs> I don't think she's on that road of seeking truth particularly. So, no, I'm not going to respond to her at all. It's, like Jesus said, not worth the time. Like Paul said, don't get involved in silly arguments. Uh, the other person, I'm going to respond to their email. I hadn't written it yet, uh, but part of it was going to say, no, that doesn't mean I believe you're an atheist. doesn't mean I believe you're going to hell. Here's what our answer meant. Here's what the Bible says about homosexuality. And try to do it in a kind and a uh, loving way, and they, they took the time to respond in a unhateful manner. So maybe there's some hope there. Maybe there's some interest there. A lot of the ones we get on that topic, 
they obviously don't want to discuss it. <laughs> but this one asked, did you mean this? Well, no, we didn't mean that at all. So I think that's one of the applications I can draw out of this. And if you've got somebody picking on you about something or persecuting or some days when you do have that, maybe Jesus has got a pretty good model here. All right, the best part of the whole story, of course, is the last three verses. Let's go over to Luke 23. Last three passages. See how Jesus responds here to these persecutors. We've already read about the persecutors, uh, the crowd, and the thieves. So let's start in verse 34, 23, 34. All right, let's track this down. Luke 23. I don't know what I did wrong. Anybody know where I got it wrong? Where did he respond? Where did he forgive the crowd? What's wrong with my Bible then? Come on. There it is right there. (laughs) They've got a big break in those sentences, and I was reading the second sentence. That had nothing to do with forgiving. Verse 34, Brian, thanks to Brian's help. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Okay, there's his response to the crowd. To them, he responded nothing. Uh, To God, he expressed, I I know they don't know what they're doing. This is just what you do when people are crucified. They don't know the whole truth. Three days from now, they're maybe going to be singing a different tune. Uh, But for what they're doing now, I ask you to forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then, if 43 is right, and I can read properly. Jesus uh, said to the thief, and you remember this whole story of the thieves, one kept insulting him, one said he doesn't deserve this. Uh, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The thieves had first condemned him, both of them joined in with the crowd, Uh, but after I think there was probably a discussion between Jesus and the one thief, he could see he was interested in the truth, and he forgave him. And then verse 46, the last thing, uh, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Okay, there's his response to persecutors. Uh, He told them the truth when they were possibly interested in the truth or could be influenced by the truth. It made them mad, but he told them the truth. Uh, Or he didn't respond if he thought they weren't interested and then he forgave his persecutors. Uh, quite a lesson there. All right, a couple of assignments for you if you want to continue this study in any way. And uh, Like I told you, it was one of the more interesting ones I've ever done on my own, just reading through the four Gospels, trying to catalog all of this. I put down at the bottom all the topics or uh, groups I found that I didn't put in the study. Uh, there's really very little about most of these, but... He did deal specifically with his family sometimes and his children sometimes, uh, children, not his children. Uh, he dealt with children specifically. 
and servants. He had a lot of interaction with servant people, uh, the sick, the downtrodden, his response to them when he was traveling past them and all of that. Uh, you could look some of those up and learn something from it, I think. Um, the other one is go back through your handouts if you kept them all and look at the different groups that we talked about. And I thought about reading through all of them and trying to summarize them for you, but the summary's on there. And just read through there and see if you get a picture of how Jesus dealt with people. He did different things with different groups, multitudes, the ones that were interested in him, the ones he was assigned or knew he had to teach, the ones he was responsible for, the apostles, uh, persecutors, oppressors, all of them. I think if you look at that in a big picture, you can see there's some tips for how we should deal with people, perhaps. So I hope that he's been interesting to you. I've enjoyed it and appreciate your attention. Uh, we're going to quit there tonight, and Toby will pick up our next Sunday night series on In the Upper Room. And, uh, that's one that could go, you could probably go a year on that. There's a lot, a lot of teaching in the upper room went on, but should be interesting. All right. Uh, if you're here this evening and need to respond in any way, have a spiritual need, we're going to stand and sing a song. And uh, if you need to come to the front, go ahead and come. Let's stand and sing.